kept out in Cordova being rained on perpetually. And then we had our students down in, at the beach, Orange Beach, Romar Beach, whichever beach it was. I guess y'all had good weather down there, huh? So it ain't right. So I went out to camp one day and spent a few hours, and basically we stood out in the rain and uh, watched them play in the pool. I figured, well, it's not lightning. They can get wet, and they're going to hurt them. But I know they had a great weekend, and uh, same with the student ministry. So welcome back to everyone. Some of you look a little tired. If you fall asleep, don't worry about it. I'm already asleep, so we'll make it through. If you need a copy of God's Word, you can lift your hand up, and Jim or Chris will be glad to give it to you. You can take your Bibles and or your devices and turn to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. I want to mention a couple of things to you, and then we will proceed. Number one is this coming Saturday is our third Saturday of the month, which is month, which is what? There we go. It's a help day. So this Saturday at the Bartlett campus, from uh, basically about 10 to 1, if you want to come early at 8 and help set up, you can use that help as well, or stay afterwards and help tear down the also, both upstairs in the clothes closet and downstairs in the gym, we got food downstairs and clothes upstairs. We need a lot of bodies just to accomplish everything. So, if you can help this Saturday, places and doing so much. But if you're available Saturday from ten to noon, I promise you they'll you can, uh, handle clothes, or you can just hand out food, or you can push baskets, or you can go families there. So there's plenty for everybody to do. Uh, you can do security on the parking lot, sitting in the back of your purse. So. Um, it's really, you're the one that will be blessed. So if you can help us this Saturday, I think you will uh, benefit from that. This coming Saturday at the Bartlett campus, really 10 to noon is the critical time, but anywhere in there. So a couple other quick things. How many of you ever bought anything on Amazon? Don't lie, every one of you are doing it. There's somebody in my neighborhood, I don't know who it is, but the Amazon truck comes to their house every day. How much? How much? How many of you have never bought anything on Amazon? Actually, I have. I just use my children to do it because I don't have any idea what I'm doing. So I just call Beth or Andy and say, "Look, I need this. Order this for your mother. I'll pay you for it." And then I don't pay them. I forget. <laughs> you know, you get to be a certain age and you need to forget things. That's probably good. And I probably owe millions of dollars. Don't with them. They'll get when I die. <laughs> At least they think they will. It's kind of like Mary, I won her over with my smooth, my, my suave personality and the fact that I told her we were rich. And then she visited our house and, and knew otherwise. So anyway, if you, if you purchase from Amazon, and you probably know this because you're a lot smarter than I am, but same thing we've done with Kroger for years. If you go to, I think it's Smile, you actually get smileamazon.com, and you designate your church as your charity, when you purchase from Amazon, they will give us money. We like money. You know how preachers are. We, we just love money. So anyway, if you, if you purchase something, you don't have a designated charity already, and you'd like to designate your church as that charity, you can go to smileamazon.com and designate Christ Church. Uh, what pray about on, on Sunday mornings, uh, not making a lifetime commitment. Uh, I won't embarrass them, but I will embarrass, hopefully not badly. But Chuck and Janet Lorenz have faithfully, from the moment I believe we opened this campus, have served in our nursery. And right here, every Sunday morning, Chuck and Janet have been there for 12 years, and I want to thank you for the public. 
You know, when you have your first child, like our oldest child, when you have your first child and you go to the nursery church, your attitude is what? I don't know if I'm going to leave my baby in there with, with just anybody. And then you have a second child, and kind of like, nah, that's it. And then you have a third, and it's like you drop kicking the moment you come through the door. Touch! And you just kind of, uh, by the time anything, while we're just pitching in there, I'm hoping that they kept you for a few hours so we could go to church. But faithfully, for 12 years, you go in, walk in the nursery, and that sweet, uh, that sweet couple's been there, and they're stepping back to do some things with uh, the family. I just want to publicly thank you. Now, having said that, it's not to for some of the rest of you to step up. Uh, again, you're not signing up like they did for a commitment every single Sunday you have to be in the nursery, but rotationally, maybe once every six weeks, you can go in there and help really uh, help me in. Uh, Pick me in the nursery, also another, so you can contact her, you can buy her your connect card. I'd like to help in the nursery, and somebody will visit your house about 2 o'clock today. So, anyway, whether it's a nursery or it's one of the other children's ministry, uh, student ministry, if you'd like to help, buy her your connect card, and we will pass it along to Rhiannon and Russ, and we'll go from there. All right, Acts chapter 16, you can turn there. Everybody have your hand out? Open up if you have it. You're listening, guys, what do you want to call it? What does it say at the top of it? Make sure you're on the side of the sermon. What does it say? <laughs> you're on the other side, probably not going to say good at this moment, but the side that has the sermon notes, now, I got over the new continent. This is, uh, I love reading the book of Acts and studying the book of Acts. Obviously, we've been in it now. Uh, Mark and I were talking a couple weeks ago, and prayerfully, uh, we're going to finish this book by the end of the year. That is our goal. So, uh, by this fall, we will finish the book of Acts and be in it uh, almost two years. But we're going to have. God has uh, really used it in my life personally, and I hope it has certainly benefited you. What we're going to look at here, as we've talked about several times, the book of Acts, as you study it, you always have to come back and remember what type of literature am I reading? Anything in Scripture is that what I understand, or, or the Proverbs, these are books of wisdom. And, and this is a book of history versus an epistle. So you're learning historical, the principles in which God was moving at that moment in time in history. So, specifically with the books of, book of Acts, Church where they begin to fulfill Jesus' commission to them. Go into all the world and make all the nations, non-Jews, disciples of me, learner, followers. You teach them what I taught you, and I will be with you the whole time. That was Jesus' commission to his followers, his church. Commission to his church, his body, today. That's us. And until he returns, our job as the church is teaching us historically how the early church did that. We're seeing the pattern for how they turned the rules of how it should be done. And so when you get to Acts chapter 16, which is where we are now, we're going to 16, verse 11. What God is doing contextually, we've already seen, he's preparing on this the group led by Paul. So it's Paul, Silas, Timothy, and as we shall see, Luke. As that group, that missionary team is in Asia and desire, or desires to go back to Asia where missionary journey number one took place, God has another plan for them. And his plan for them is Europe. He wants to open a new continent to the gospel, and that continent is Europe. So when you, as you're reading this story, it seems like an obscure, minor event on the surface as he goes to Philippi, or as they go to Philippi. But in reality, it's one of the most significant events and momentous moments in church and history and in the history of mankind. It's the story of the gospel beginning to go to this incredible continent of Europe. It changed the course of Western civilization and probably, without using hyperbole, it, it's one of the two or three most significant events that occurred since the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As the gospel went to Europe, and then obviously, if you look around the room, most of our ancestors are what? Europeans. And so the gospel went to the New World, and it went for missionary efforts all over the world that began in Europe. A lot of bad things were done in the name of Jesus, but here's the thing I want you to do, if we look at this again, we start looking at Acts chapter 16 in the Gospel of Europe. Always keep this in mind. So important. That God is always, we'll see it very practically at Philippi, God is always working good, even when it does not look good in the moment. When it's tough, when it's incredibly difficult, when it's painful, when it's emotional, when you hurt physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, whatever it is, when you're hurting, this is what God says to you. I'm with you. I'm in the middle of it with you, whether it's a fire, whatever it might be. I'm in the midst of that pain with you. I am working good. Some of that good, a lot of that good, you will never know what it is until eternity. But the nature of our Father, the nature of our God, is that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when he says, I am working good, what does that mean? It means he's working good. He may not be doing it the way I want him to do it. 
He may not be doing it the way that I think he should do it. But what I need to know is he's always working good on my behalf. And my goal is to find out what he wants me to do and then do it. Trusting that he doesn't make mistakes like I do. And so when you get to, to Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 11, in the context, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and Luke, they're at Troy. Paul gets a vision from the Macedonian man. And again, they're in Asia. Macedonia is in Europe. Look at verse 10, chapter 16, verse 10. After he had seen the vision, immediately we, you notice the we, mentioned this last week, we, that little pronoun, means Luke is now with him, the author of the book of Acts. We go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. This is really important in setting the context of what you're about to see. That they go to Asia and God has closed those doors. God said, no, I want you to go send the vision to the Macedonian man. I want you to go here, just ultimately Europe. So they conclude, this is what God wants to do. God took him to the room with a seven-foot tall man and said, go outside and cut the grass. You might conclude what? God's going to go outside and cut the grass. So they did. They said, right, this is what God wants us to do. So we're going to step through that door. These are closed. God has opened this one. We're going to step through the open door to Macedonia. Simply obey God and go. Because of their obedience. God opens a new continent for the gospel. This is really important. The context is what we're going to see. If they just know without a doubt that God wants them to go to Macedonia, because when they get there, it's not going to be good on the surface. It's not going to be easy at all. It's going to be difficult, painful, physically painful. They're going to be beaten. They're going to be imprisoned. It's going to be incredibly difficult. And here's what you might do if you don't remember that this is God's will. And if you don't think as Christians sometimes doing God's will is painful, then you haven't read the Bible. Those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, Paul told Timothy, what was the rest of that verse? You will suffer persecution. Jesus said, why are you surprised if they hate you? They hated me. Of course they're going to hate you. The time will come when they'll throw you out of the synagogue, they'll throw you in prison, and they'll think they're doing a good, godly thing. Understand, it comes with the territory. And then you, so in the middle of it, have joy. Rejoice in your circumstances all the time. That's, it's not being giddy and happy and crazy. It's being, all right, God, I trust you. Now, what do you want me to do in the middle of this difficulty? How can I glorify you? Give a correct estimate of what you're worth. Let them see who the real God is. So how is God going to open Europe? Remember, without a doubt in their mind, they are in the place God wants them to be. Keep that in mind. Number one on your handout. How is God going to open Europe? Through prepared hearts. Through prepared hearts. Look at verse 12. We'll start in verse 11. Therefore, sailing from Troy, we ran a straight course through Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. So number one, how God reached Europe, how it begins, through prepared hearts. Number one, he had preachers who were ready to do what he told them to do. And by preachers, it doesn't mean you have to be an ordained clergy. It means you. What's the, what's the great commission? Go into the world and make disciples. Preach them the gospel. Acts 1.8, you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Preach the gospel. I don't care who you are. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the highest call in your life is to share the gospel with your world. Yes, God calls some to be pastor teachers and to lead and to teach. And maybe and not everybody has those gifts, but every believer is called to share the gospel with others. So they have, in this case, many preachers. Philippi, 
where they are. About 10 miles from the Seattle area, it was named by Alexander the Great's father. It was an uh, incredibly valuable area. It was full of copper and gold deposits. Now, it's very important to understand. Notice in verse 12, it says, a little phrase, that part of Macedonia Philippi was, quote, a colony. That means it was a Roman colony. This will become very important later on. So you know, know. It was a Roman colony. In essence, it was Rome away from Rome. Here's the way it worked. Retired military would move, be encouraged, and get benefited by moving to a place like Philippi and settling there. So it became like a military outpost for Rome, away from Rome. And they got the privileges, all the privileges of being a Roman citizen. They didn't pay, uh, they paid no taxes for relocating. They were self-governing. They were able to have land ownership rights. They had all the rights of Roman citizens. That will be important again later on. In Philippians 3.20, fascinating. Remember, Philippians was written to the people of Philippi that we're about to meet. Paul writes to them later, and he called that church his joy and crown in that simple little four-chapter book, Philippians. Very powerful book. The theme of it is rejoice in your circumstances. And again, I'd say rejoice always. In that little epistle to Philippi, there's a famous phrase. It says, our citizenship is where? In heaven. The literal Greek says this way, we're a colony of heaven. And the reason it says it literally that way, we're a colony of heaven, is because they were a colony of Rome. And what he wanted them to understand is, I know you're a Roman citizen. I know that's a big deal. But for you who have come to know the Lord, those of you who are Christians, Christ followers, you may be a colony of Rome on earth, but you're a colony of heaven. That's where your citizenship is. Truly, you're a colony of heaven. And that's what's really important for us to understand. We live in the United States of America. We live in the county of Shelby. We live in the state of Tennessee. We're citizens of all those places. But the, the reality for us as Christians is that we're citizens of heaven. That's our colony. That's our home. We are here on vacation for God. And the God says, come home. So he reminds them when he writes to them later. So it was, again, verse 12. Philippians is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia. There was a Roman governor there. It was very, obviously, very pro-Rome. They spoke Latin. It was Rome away from Rome. All right, verse 13. On the Sabbath day, we, Paul, Silas, Timothy, Luke, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. We sat down and we spoke to the women who met there. Their custom, the call on their lives, was to preach the gospel. So notice, on the Sabbath, they went out of the city. To come back to, we talked about a moment ago, this is, again, very important, come back to this point. Do they know that they're where God wants them to be? Yes, no. Yes, without question. God is very clear. I want you to Philippi, the formal city there. So they know without a doubt they are where, and they're in the middle of God's will. We've seen in the book of Paul when he was with Barnabas, those who were with him. When he would go into a town, he would go. If that town had a, had a synagogue, he would go there because he knew at the synagogue he would encounter people who were seeking God. So he would go there first and preach the gospel. He gets here... There's no synagogue, which meant it had a very small Jewish population. You had to have 10 Jews who were men who were heads of households to have a synagogue. They don't have that at Philippi. So if you weren't convinced beyond a doubt that this was God's will, you might be saying, maybe we're in a place. There's no place for us to go. There's no church for us to go to and preach to people. So what seekers of God would do in towns like Philippi that didn't have a synagogue where they could go and hear God's word, they would meet at the river Right. No illegal religions allowed. The Roman law. In this Roman colony, no illegal religions allowed. So they had to get outside Philippi and went to the river. We're ready to do it. What do we do? Here's the point. All they know up to this point in their ministry and in their missionary trips is God says, go somewhere. You go there and you preach the gospel. And what do you do? You leave the results up to God. Your job is to speak truth in love into the lives of people wherever you find people. And God will handle the rest. Just be faithful and go share the gospel. So they go out to the river where these women are. Notice, again, important. 
get preachers ready to preach the gospel. So they go where the seekers are at the river praying. So the second perceptive seekers. Verse 13. Where prayer was customarily made. So this is something they're doing. They said they spoke to the women who met there. Notice, no men. No men. God is about to open a continent through these women getting saved. The church is different. No slave free, Jew nor Greek. It's people coming to Christ. So God has miraculously called them to Macedonia, and now they just simply go down to the river. They find the seekers. They sit down, and they speak to them. Please understand historically this context. No, no Jewish rabbi would ever sit down and talk to women. I'm going to read you a quote from rabbinical training of the day. It is better that the words of the law be burned than be delivered to a woman. End quote. They just wouldn't do it. Paul's life had been radically changed by Jesus Christ. He understood, he writes it, as we just quoted, he writes it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He simply goes, these people are seeking truth, I'm going to speak truth to them. And to these women to have rabbis come and spend time, sit down and spend time with them, was a big deal. Here's a Pharisee's public prayer that I'm not a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. If we just quoted a moment ago, how about Paul? He was on the Sanhedrin, Saul of Tarsus, who Jesus uh, appears to and radically saves and sends him to take the gospel as the apostle to the Gentiles. What does he write? This church, this body of Christ is that we're a part of. It's not slave nor free. It's not male or female. It's not Jew or Gentile. We're one. Over and over, he emphasizes the unity of the body of Christ. We are one. So here's the picture at this point. God's plan to take the gospel to Europe would not have been what a man would have planned. Especially not a Jewish man. God wanted that gospel to go to Europe and he's going to begin it at a women's meeting, at a women's prayer meeting by the river. I want to read you a quote from A.W. Tozier, great theologian of years past. Probably the hardest thought for all of our natural egotism to entertain is that God does not need our help. We commonly represent him as a busy, eager, frustrated father hurrying about seeking help to carry out his benevolent plan to bring peace and salvation to the world. Too many missionary appeals are based upon this fancied frustration of Almighty God. An effective speaker can easily excite pity in his hearers, not only for the heathen, but for God who tried so hard and so long to save them, and he has failed for want of support. I fear that thousands of young persons enter Christian service from no higher motive than to help deliver God from the embarrassing situation his love has gotten into and his limited ability seems unable to get him out of. End quote. God is omnipotent, all-powerful. He allows us the privilege of being the ones who are his ambassadors to carry his message to those we encounter, male, female, Jew, or Gentile, slave, or free. In the context, Paul said, I am here to preach the gospel. And if these women are seeking truth, I'm going to share truth with them. If this is God's plan, I'm good with it. It's not about it for us today. It's not about us coming up with the greatest program that maybe we can finally get done with God has not been able to get done. It's simply our job to find where God wants us to minister and to do it in a way that honors him. Preach the gospel. Everyone had the opportunity to do so by how you live, by how you love, by your availability, and then share the truth of who Jesus is. Here's the first step. God had prepared the hearts of these people. Look at verse 14. A certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. A couple of things you know about Lydia just from this. The fact she's a seller of purple, made, she made a really good living. We'll notice later on she has a very large house. Purple dye in that day, purple is worn by royals and people of wealth. 
very profitable, prohibitively expensive, and that she sold the purple dye, so she did well. She was also a worshiper of God. And what that means is that she was a Gentile who was seeking info, believing in the Hebrew God of Israel, seeking truth. Not yet a full Gentile, husband, her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. God had been preparing her heart. She'd been seeking truth. God's timing has always been more truth. She'd been seeking. She, he finally sends Paul there with these missionaries with the truth she needed, and she believes, which leads to her obedience. God's timing is perfect. He doesn't make mistakes. He places us where he wants us to further the kingdom. Paul uses this illustration later on. He says, you may be, talking to the church at Corinth, you may be the one who plants a seed or you may be the one who waters that seed or you may be the one who reaps the harvest of that seed. But in the eyes of God, they're all what? Equal and important. Equal and important. So you're not the greatest public speaker in the world. But the people that you know, that you work with, that are in your family, that you encounter, maybe you coach them, you spend time with them, whatever it might be. You already have earned the respect and the right to talk to those people. God has you there. Just tell them what Jesus has done for you. Tell them what he did for them. Tell them how much God loves them. Ask them questions. Let them ask you questions. Guess what? They're going to ask you questions you don't know the answer to. I don't know that. Because happens to me all the time. They're going to ask you questions you don't know the answer to. That's a good thing. That means they're seeking truth. If you don't know the answer, what do you do? You seek the truth for yourself and go back and give them the answer. Retain his wife. You join that for a while. They're going to ask you questions about the problem. You no know one's ever going to problem with people. You tell me God loves me, get looking around the world, all the things are going on. There's not a loving God. That's, that can't be true. You're going to be asked that question sooner or later. Those things are important. So Lydia, God's prepared for this moment in history. Remember, Paul's not going to the fire, right? Where is he going? Going back to Asia. God already had these people prepared. Wait, no, he's going to Asia. We're going to Macedonia. Consistor, consistor, consistor. Here's one's open. Go through that one. And let's see what's behind door number three. Oh, you want a trip to Europe? Now let's go have a good time for God on that trip. Verse 15. She and her household were baptized. Lydia, she begged us, Paul, Luke, etc., Silas, saying to him, you judge me to be faithful to the Lord. Come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. She listens to the truth that Paul is speaking. Obviously, she receives that. She's baptized. She identifies. By the way, they're right beside a river. Where do you think they baptized them? They went and built a church and put a Right up in that river. I've been baptized in the ocean. I've been baptized in the Methodist Church. I've been baptized in the Cumberland Presbyterian. I've been baptized before I was saved. I've been baptized after I was saved. She's identifying. She said, I, I want in. And she says, if you think I'm faithful, my, my, that shares the gospel with my granddaughter's name, Lydia. I don't know if they got it out of the Bible. Lydia, and then the people in Lydia's household. We don't know exactly who those people were. Certainly no, no man is mentioned, no husband is mentioned. Just her house, a house, and stay. Drop down and look at verse 40 for a moment. Verse 40. We'll get to this next week. They went out of the prison. This is what happens. They had seen the brethren. They encouraged them and departed. We'll get into and exegete what all that is next week. It's meeting at her house. A Gentile. Cool, we're talking about who they are. The church is growing. God's plan. But you come to my house and stay. If you've judged me, faithful. She persuaded us. Now listen, this is important contextually. No man is mentioned, so there probably wasn't one. Now she's saying to these four men, I want you to come. What would that look like if she wasn't a woman who was well respected? It would look like what? 
But she has a powerful testimony and well-known, well-respected for the church. Hospitality. I want to open my home to everybody. Just come. In time, learning. They've persuaded. So Paul and them, go. Olympian Church was the most generous church Paul encountered. Who do you think? Lydia. In Philippians 4, he writes to this church. You Philippians know no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but you only. For even in that over from my necessities, only there, only there. Not that I see, I have all and I abound. I'm full. Having received from a path sacrifice, well pleasing to God. Paul writes the while he's chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day expecting to be executed after his trial. He else was there and had my back and supported me. You did. All right, let's look at point two and then we're going to be done. So God opens this continent, number one, through those prepared persecution. What you're going to see are two things here. You're going to see satanic power on display. So look at verse 16. It happened, and they're still in Philippi. As we went to prayers, they're headed out to the river to pray. Our masters, much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, of salvation. I really want you to see this principle Anytime God is doing a good work, he is being honored, my kingdom is growing, the church is flourishing, so on. Everything he can to defeat that through people, through personalities, through work, by defeating the people who are involved in that work. But secondly, and that's that work, try to counterfeit it. Affect persecution when you're doing God's work. He's going to try to counterfeit. Prize that Satan's minions disguise themselves, preachers disguise themselves as angels of light. You're not paying attention if you don't think there are. In the name of Jesus and in holding up Bible, and yet what they preach is anti-Christ. It's not stupid. So this girl, number understand this is the centrically opposed or different they are. First was a wealthy, well-respected, is a demon-possessed slave girl. Did God love both of them equally? Totally different. So they're going to prayer. Luke, divination. The Greek is she possessed with a python spirit. With it, he became a predictor of the future because at the Oracle of Delphi, he killed python. He spoke the future. Today, we would simply say this girl was a medium, kind of ironic and funny in a sense. There are people that are all about a medium. Somebody can tell you your future or speaking to your light and do that. Because we want to hear stuff like that. Stupid. He just wants to keep you away from the truth of God. Think about it. Go back and convince Eve to eat that fruit. And then Adam do the same. By saying what he really meant. Let me tell you what God really meant when he said, don't eat this fruit. Twist it, and you bring sin and death into the world. Stock and divination or being able to tell the future. Matter of fact, if you were a commander and you were going to go get an important decree, without, or make an important decree, you would first consult an oracle or a apparent clairvoyant 
abilities. Notice what it says. How much money was she making? She was their gold mine, making them tons of fortune telling. People would flock to her. So she follows verse 17. Now notice the two things that she screams, verse 17. Number one, these men are so high God, they proclaim to us the way of salvation. In other words, she was speaking what? Again, Satan's not stupid. So here's the ploy. What was he doing? The Greeks and the Romans, because of their polytheism, all the cultures, all the isms and the philosophies of life, fine, just don't be a seeker of Jesus Christ. Paul, Silas, Timothy, told, right? And she suddenly appears to be what? Every day she... So it'll be a good thing. God would want us to go to her. And she did this for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, how does he do this? It's exactly what I just said. He doesn't want to confuse... If he could, he... Would have bought the slave. Lydia had the money. Buy the ability, according to God's will, to cast out demons. So he does. With what she was involved in. You to bow your heads. Just pause for a moment. I want you to think about this before we close out. Here's our God, <clears throat> who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He inhabits history. He's outside time. The moment this was happening with Lydia, he was watching us stand here today talk about it. He sees everything simultaneously. That's who your God is. And here's what he wants from us. To just be ready like Paul, Silas. Timothy, Luke, just be ready, willing, available to tell others about who your dad is, who your God is, how he's changed your life and given you peace and hope and joy, all the things that that people want you have in Christ. And also to be reminded and to understand that I know some of you are going through some very difficult things right now even as we sit here together. He knows about that. He is working good in that. It may not feel good. I understand that. It may be terrifying. I understand that. But your dad wants to remind you, I love you. I'm going through it with you. I'm already already outside it and past it. I'm going to get you through this. Use it as an opportunity to glorify your dad. We'll see next week how Paul and Silas do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you as Christians that we just simply spend time together worshiping and leave here and go share the gospel. Give us those opportunities. Encourage us to take the word of God, the message of who our father is, the omniscient, omnipotent creator of the universe is our dad. And share the truth of the gospel, not what people think, but who Jesus really is with our world. We thank you for that opportunity, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as.